Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Alex Erowa and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tasmania. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now more than 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can simply stream them on the TICT website at tict.com.au. We are recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and Pakana, and TICT offers its respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, their elders past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by a partner, Tasmania Parks and Wildlife Service. Parks and Wildlife Service presents, protects and manages our Tasmania's extraordinary landscapes in partnership with the community. They work to conserve the state's natural and cultural heritage while providing for sustainable use and economic opportunities for the Tasmanian community. Thanks to Tasmania Parks and Wildlife Service for their generous support of TRCT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now, let's get into today's conversation with Emma Pethybridge, founder and CEO of Ethical Republic. Ethical Republic is a for-purpose company that supports the development of nature-based enterprises in and around protected areas. Emma grew up in the northwest coast of Tassie and has worked throughout Australia, North America, the Asia-Pacific and the Middle East in sustainability, cultural and nature-based tourism and conservation market development. She has worked with the Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation, Emirates Nature, WWF, the Vancouver Aquarium Marine Science Science Centre, Swiss Contact, Vietnam and Expo 2020 Dubai Sustainability Pavilion. Emma started Ethical Republic to find sustainable, scalable, inclusive and creative ways of unlocking value for communities so both people and wild spaces can thrive. Welcome, Emma, to Talking Tourism. Thanks, Alex. It's a real pleasure to be here. Before we get into the meat of the questions, I'd like to take you back a little bit to a time when you were eight. And am I right in thinking that at that tender age of eight, you started your first tiny scale conservation enterprise? Would you like to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess you could call it that. Yeah. Um, I grew up on the northwest coast in a little town called Forth up, up on Wilmot Road on a rural property. So we, my dad was a vegetable farmer and we had a little walnut grove on the property. And um, my mum used to have a craft stall down at the Forth Market, actually. And so um, my sister and I would find little ways of, you know, selling selling products down at the market as well to get our pocket money. And I think that was the way I made my first dollar, actually, was by, um, yeah, gathering walnut shells and turning them into these little things we called walnut babies and putting the walnuts into little carnations, you know, uh, fake carnations and things like that. So, you know, just a little bit of pocket money to keep us going, yeah. <laughs> Did um, Has anyone taken that forward? Is there now a, a conglomerate making? <laughs> oh, I, I wish that was uh, my uh, multi-millions, but no, unfortunately not. No. <laughs> There's value left on the table there, I think, yeah. <laughs> so you founded Ethical Republic in 2019. Uh, what led you to that? And, um, and tell us about your mission and, and, and vision. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I guess um, as per sort of your introduction, um, I've been working in this space, I guess, of, you know, positive impact or social impact and uh, cultural land management, I guess, with Indigenous people for many years and in different iterations throughout my career, I suppose. In 2019, I guess, well, first of all, I always, I suppose, wanted to start my own business. Um, I come from a bit of an entrepreneurial family, both on my mum's side and my dad's side. They've both gone down that path at, at different times in their lives. 
Uh, so in 2019, I was working over in, in Dubai in the Middle East um, in, with Expo 2020 in the Sustainability Pavilion team. Uh, COVID hit, obviously, and well, it was a little bit before that that I guess that I started the vision for the company and started, you know, I guess setting myself up for when that job was going to finish that I would launch my own my own business. So I guess I started crafting the reason, the mission, the vision and some of that, you know, early sort of company uh, infrastructure, if you like, before, before getting started with services and service delivery. The mission really is to enable the conservation economy through the development of um, sustainable, inclusive and profitable nature-based enterprises in and around sort of protected areas and heritage sites. So most of that usually happens with Indigenous people and local communities, both here in Tassie and around Australia and internationally sometimes as well. And the vision, I suppose, the, like the reason why I started it and what's kind of driving me in that in that direction is um, for 30% of the world's high conservation and cultural value land and sea resources to be protected in ways that support, not erode, local livelihoods and traditional use. So that's kind of my big, big picture vision for, for the world, if you like. Yeah. There's been plenty of talk and chatter, I suppose, over the last few years about sustainability, sustainable tourism. Um, regenerative tourism takes that one step further, positively one step further. What exactly is regenerative tourism and why is it important? Yeah, sure. So I guess, first of all, um, I guess it's known by many different terms, really, but uh, regenerative tourism is definitely getting a fair bit of airtime right now as, as a concept. Um, I think it can also be known by by the words like positive impact travel, by uh, responsible travel, and it certainly kind of encompasses sustainability as a concept as well. But you're right, it does go one step further. And I, I think there's not really a, a, a you know, well-agreed definition as such yet for that for that term, but for me it's about um, an intention and a set of actions that aim to leave things better than what we found them. So there's that I guess concept of you know um, uh, you know leaving things better for the next generation, um, but for me it encompasses um, respecting ecological boundaries, uplifting community host communities in a tourism perspective I suppose, and also just using business as a force for good, and that could be through giving back or through you know incorporating purpose into the DNA of your business. And there's some great examples here in Tassie and elsewhere in Australia of how that's done. Yeah, we're here at the moment at the Launceston um, TRCT Tourism Conference, Positive Impact, and you spoke yesterday. And you talk about the six dimensions of, of regenerative travel. Can you expand on that and what are they? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, first of all, I guess it's it's my, what I've come up with as a model of regenerative travel or regenerative tourism. Um, there's probably other ones out there. Well, there definitely, there definitely is. And uh, so other people might have a slightly different take, but through my own observation and experience and I guess, um, you know, the research that I've done, the way I've kind of phrased it, at least from the, you know, to be geared towards how to help operators in particular as opposed to destinations or or travellers themselves, the six dimensions that I've come up with, the first one is, um, to, is strengthening and empowering communities. The second is safeguarding culture and heritage. The third is operating sustainably, and that's probably what a lot of people are already quite familiar with from those concepts around sustainability, you know, emissions use, um, waste, pollution, water use, all those materials, all that kind of thing in your supply chain. The, the, the next one is um, conserving nature and biodiversity. 
Um, we've also got promoting lesser known places and lesser heard voices within your travel, ex- within your d- the design and delivery of travel experiences. And finally, educating, inspiring and involving travellers, the visitors who come and who come to Tassie and experience those products, services and experiences. The listeners to, to this podcast, the majority will be Tassie tourism operators. Um, how can they apply these principles, I suppose, to their own products and experiences? And we've got some maybe examples or, or tips for them. Yeah. So I've, I guess I've come up with a bit of a process for how, you know, operators can do this pretty easily, I suppose, within, within their businesses, because, you know, it's, it's easy enough, I suppose, for the larger operators and those with a lot of, you know, funding and and investment behind them to do that. But we also need to make, you know, ways for, for smaller operators. And it is around, as I understand it, about 85% of operators in Tassie are, you know, the small, very small micro or small, um, um, businesses. So, so yeah, I've tried to make it very easy, I guess. Um, first, the first stage is obviously planning and then execution and then communication. So within that kind of, within those three phases, I've got, I've got a few more that sort of unpack that a little bit more and I can, I can talk through those if you like. So first up, we've got analysing your own business. So really that, what that means is looking at the impacts of your business and the dependencies of your business. And that almost takes, like, looks at natural and social capital, I guess, and those business risks that you might face as a, as a, as a, business, as a tourism business. So uh, th- that's also the kind of approach we would do if we were doing a natural capital accounting uh, methodology, if you like. You sort of look at, um, okay, what's my footprint? Like, what do I need? What are my inputs that I need to operate? And what are my outputs? And what are the impacts of those, both in a social and environmental point of view? The next bit is looking at, um, I guess, mapping the, the social and community and cultural issues that are important in the places where you operate or the places where you visit. So that, that would obviously involve talking to community leaders um, about what, what, what are those pressure points in communities and, and where can your business, based on the type of business that you're operating, what, is, what are those potential areas of alignment, you know, with, with, with those issues? The next part is obviously creating a plan. So, and that can be as, as simple as you like. You know, it can be just a one page of bullet points. Well, this is how I'm going to tackle things things now. And it can it can really be aimed at initially at that low hanging fruit. You know, you don't have to be, you know, all in to get started in this area. Next next step is obviously execution. So actually going out and delivering what you you know your ideas and, and having a crack, I suppose. And finally, the last piece of the puzzle, which is super important as well, is communicating what you're doing. So um, obviously getting that aligned messaging and and really you know telling both the, the your stakeholders, your visitors, but also others in the industry what you're doing. So it's sharing those lessons learned, which creates hopefully a bit of a snowball effect, so that others get on board too. We know that a lot of businesses are focused on regenerative tourism and regenerative principles. Is it important that they talk to their market about it or is that something that's just expected now for businesses to do? Yeah. So really, I mean, for me, no, it's absolutely essential. And, and those, there really is sort of two main success factors, if you like, for doing this. The, the first one is that planning and execution that I talked about. But the second one is, is messaging and communication. I think if you're, if you're not doing that, then you're really, you're doing good as a business, but you, you're leaving value on the table. You know, you've got, you can definitely get more Get, you know, you can make commercial outcomes from what you're doing, I suppose, because you're going to be then attracting a different, perhaps, um, type of, of market 
and perhaps you're able to put up premium pricing, you know, by doing that. But it's also about, I think, you know, it's also really great fodder for content. And we all know that content is king in, in the marketing world. And, you know, people, uh, both the search engines, but also p- consumers themselves are looking for that fresh content. And, and so, uh, you know, I guess from a publicity point of view, you know, people are looking for those good news stories and great examples of unique ways and, you know, really novel ways of, of doing social impact. So definitely talking about it, it's, um, it's super important. It's, Yes, it might be expected to some degree. I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, growing expectations that this is kind of the almost the bare minimum for the social licence to operate, if you like. You know, talking about it in a really positive sense and also being honest perhaps about the challenges you're facing in doing it because that's that's appreciated too, I think, from, from all angles. The perception, I suppose, or my understanding is that <clears throat> this is uh, a complete change for the tourism market should be and sustainability and regenerative tourism positive impact tourism um, is the way of the future and it's something that's going to grow um, rather than sort of plateau Um, but are you seeing are there any particular markets that are more focused on that at the moment um, than than others that may be less so? Yeah so I guess I I don't really have data on that like hardcore data but I suppose what you know intuitively it would be a pretty similar market to what has already been interested in the sustainability uh, version of travel, if you like. But I think definitely there's, you know, I guess whether it's anecdotal or whether there, you know, there's definitely probably data out there to, to back this up. But, you know, the, the whole COVID thing is is leading to more intentional travel. And we actually had a speaker this morning talk about that in a, in a, in a lot of detail, which is fantastic about that that whole movement that's, that's really burgeoning, I suppose, in the industry. So I guess... I don't see it plateauing. I see it growing um, exponentially, really. Um, people are being much more intentional about the way they travel. And I think the, the purpose-driven business is is huge across all sectors. It's certainly not um, unique to tourism. So you've got, um, you know, ESG in the investment world, you know, that focus on environmental, social and governance from the point of view of investing. Um, in all different sectors of business, you've got purpose-driven businesses, you know, coming to the fore and, and being hugely successful because there's such a demand for people wanting to do good when they spend. You touched on earlier, you know, the, the sort of backbone of our industry is small and micro businesses, which is absolutely true. So applying these sort of regenerative tourism principles, um, in terms of investment of time, energy and finances, have you got experience in, in, in you know, what, what it's really going to mean for a small business um, in that side of things? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, you can, how long is a piece of string yeah. is one one point way of putting this as well. So you can get started really easily. And that's, I suppose, what I, you know, definitely the, the presentation that I gave yesterday, but also some of the materials and toolkits that I'm working on putting together right now for, for operators really helps you get started with very little time, money or, or investment, I suppose. Like we need to make this, you know, the, the you know, the, loop, the hurdle to cross very very small for people just to get started. So, really, that low hanging fruit. I think you can get started with uh, probably the biggest time time investment is around partnerships. You know because. Ultimately, you're probably needing to partner with community-based organisations or not-for-profits in your area or it might be, you know, wildlife charities or, or whatever, depending on how, you know, what's appropriate in your context. But I guess working up those really meaningful partnerships based on mutual trust and mutual understanding of, of a way forward together, that's always what takes time. But certainly I think it's 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 
pretty easy for operators to just have a go and, and tackle that low-hanging fruit that I'm talking about. If you really want to be in that quadrant of being a market leader and if you're a larger operator for sure, there might be a bigger, you know, level of investment to really uh, do do it well, you know, in um, at, a, at a different scale. But, yeah, as I said, I think it's, it's really easy to get started. One thing, you know, we are really good at here in Tassie is collaborating. And I think that that plays well in, into this space. And it, I think also when when small businesses are starting and looking at that um, investment of time, energy and finances, it becomes what we're noticing certainly is that it, this is business as usual now. You know, this regenerative aspect and positive impact tourism should be built into the fundamentals of the business rather than a sort of something additional that you you invest in and tack onto. It's really just part of the absolute core of, of businesses is what the consumer wants. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as I said before, I think that, you know, people are voting with their with their dollars, to be honest. And that is more and more towards social enterprise, or at least businesses who really know what they stand for and are adding value to their local communities, or doing really great stuff from an environmental impact point of view. So it's definitely becoming, um, the you know, the, <laughs> the, the bare minimum of for doing business in that social licence to operate context. Um, And it just lends itself so well to tourism, especially here in Tassie, where we've got, you know, our social and natural capital is what is the draw card for many people coming here. And they, you know, from that point of view, I guess it's a a perishable commodity. Um, So we need to protect that and invest in that as much as we can. And so who better to do that than than tourism operators who are there showcasing those those assets and values. And you touched on this a little bit, but how do you think uh, Tassie stacks up against uh, other Australian states or perhaps even international destinations in that regenerative tourism space. And do you think we've got any particularly unique opportunities here? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, because of the natural base we've got here uh, and the wilderness values and also the cultural landscapes here as well, it's a perfect opportunity to do regenerative tourism here brilliantly. Um, I think we've made a, a bit of progress down that path already um, and it can only accelerate in my view. Like uh, I think it'd be awesome to see it supported really, really well and obviously the theme here of the conference today is positive impact. So um, hopefully there's going to be a lot of um, momentum generated through this. In terms of how Tassie stacks up between um, other states and internationally, this concept and these the, the application of these principles does work really well in an international context, in obviously in developing countries and emerging markets because, you know, there's a lot of disadvantaged communities and it's really uh, it's, it's really easy to make traction and do things well when you're quite intentional about it in those contexts. I think it is done really well in other states in Australia. Um, obviously, I've, I've worked a lot in Queensland and a lot in the, the Western Australia and Northern Territory as well. So I do see great examples of how that's done, particularly with Indigenous communities. And I think that's where we need to do it better here in Tassie not only, you know, by having, um, you know, uh, community, community owned and operated, um, tourism enterprises that are with, you know, done by the Indigenous community here, but also, you know, I guess non-Indigenous operators partnering with the Tasmanian Aboriginal community. There's just so many opportunities to do that. And I think it's a really, would be a really important move for this industry. And I think people who are visiting the state would love to see that too. Well said. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Emma. But we're not quite finished because one of the initiatives that um, that we have introduced in the Talking Tourism podcast are the Big Seven Questions. Um, 
the pressure is on now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating. People have been I'm waiting sweating. for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first one uh, is a bit like trying to pick your favourite child, I suppose. Uh, what's your favourite spot in Tassie and why? Oh, I've been dreading this question, actually. <laughs> uh, so I, there are so many for me. Um, obviously, all the natural areas, the, the national parks are, are hugely a favourite for me. Um, obviously, I, I'm on the northwest coast, so I guess some of those landscapes are really, um, you know, special for me. Uh, even... Even the non-national parks like the Dial Range, it's super accessible from, you know, out the back of Penguin there where I live. But some of those favourites for me, for me are like, you know, Rocky Cape National Park and the, the far northwest and the Tarkine and regions like that and, you know, even the Bay of Fires region as well. So you see what I mean? I can't choose. It is like a favourite <laughs> child. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let's expand that a little bit, make it even, even harder. Um, so now the entire globe. <laughs> What's your favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Yeah, also really difficult. So um, I've also, yeah, lived and travelled around the world quite a lot. I was tempted to say some of the areas in British Columbia and Canada because they're, they're pretty spectacular. But... Uh, favourite trip actually was was East Africa in uh, Rwanda actually in the Volcanoes National Park and Virunga National Park around the mountain gorillas. You know, some of the brilliant social enterprise and community operated uh, tourism experiences there. Obviously spending time with, you know, a, a species as iconic as, as mountain gorillas was, was really amazing and it was just brilliant to see how communities are, are part of that. But also the Ticino region of Switzerland, which is where my husband's from, we go back there and, and visit his friends and family quite a lot. And it's it's amazing to see how, you know, from going from one valley to another, um, how everything changes, uh, whether it's, you know, the way they make cheese and the flavours or the grappa that is that is available to drink or, you know. And in fact, you know, the Ticino region does does um, tourism amazingly, I have to say, the, the, the hiking there and you finish a, a beautiful hike and um, you, you're, you're met with prosciutto and grappa and, uh, you know, red wine and and it's amazing. I think we've got a lot to learn from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly, you know, our distilling industry is, uh, could, could get the whole hands on grappa, that's for sure. <laughs> so if someone's coming to Tassie for the first time, what's the absolute must-do thing that you would recommend for them? South Coast track? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> might be a bit inaccessible. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I think for me, you know, uh, obviously getting into to nature and national parks would be amazing and there are some very accessible ones. The, the multi-day hikes are fantastic, but again, it's probably, a, a, you know, a, a bit of a barrier to entry for some people, especially especially perhaps the older generation. So, I, I mean, there's 60 great short walks and so what I would say is, you know, get a, get a hamper of amazing Tassie produce, like local seasonal produce, take it in, take it on one of those 60 short walks in the national parks and just have a picnic and uh, enjoy the scenery and, and take and absorb it all take it in could you pick one of those 60 saint colombo falls i think is one of my favorites uh, as, a, as a really short uh, walk but are there any particular that stand out in those 60 short walks because oh. i think they're lovely i think they're fantastic well, the, you're right. There are so many, but uh, I, I guess the one I've, I've done recently is the is Rocky Cape. From the, I think it's about a three hour walk from Sisters Beach to to the to the starting point there. So, windswept, you know, amazing. Uh, you feel like you're on the edge of the world. Uh, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. So, okay, so you're walking the overland track or the South Coast track. Um, <laughs> five days, three people you're taking with you. Who you're taking and why? Yeah. I have, I've done the overland track a few times actually, so good question. I think, well, first I would say um, a traditional owner would be amazing so that they could really, well, uh, I guess guide and interpret the, the walk, at, you know, through, through the eyes of an Indigenous perspective. That would be amazing. My husband, because he, he cooks and I don't, <laughs> and he carries more in, my, in his pack than I do. So 
But I first did the overland track when I was 11 or 12 and it was, was with my dad and my sister so and a couple of their friends. So I guess, my, you know, my dad actually, yeah, I would probably take him uh, because, because of the, for old time's sake, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So on that trip back from you've just done the overland track, you're driving the car home, what's playing on the radio? Oh, look, I'm a bit of a podcast nerd, so I do listen to this podcast quite a lot, actually, but lots of business podcasts as well. But if I'm really not in the mood to, to focus or, or be that nerdy, then it's usually, I guess, quite folky type type bands like Cat Empire and Great Big Sea and Mumford and & Sons and that kind of stuff, to be honest, yeah. And when you get to your destination, what's your tipple of choice? I'm a big fan of craft beer, so uh, I usually look for, you know, a locally brewed uh, beer wherever I go. But I'm really getting into Tasmanian gin, actually, which is not a spirit that I've been a huge fan of, but I'm really, uh, Tasmanian gin gin is changing my mind, to be honest, yeah. We do do it so well, we really do. Um, So many fantastic awards, such a great industry, so collaborative and, um, yeah, they are brilliant. Um, and the last big one, the big debate, Tasmanian curried scallops. Is that a culinary delight or a culinary crime? <laughs> well, I've never actually had a, a, a curried, curried scallop pie, to be honest, but I would not choose that. So I'm going to say crime, but if, because <laughs> my husband is a, is a trained chef, he does curried scallops amazing, but it would be in the, you know, pan fried with a bit of um, pancetta or something like that. Good, perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. Thanks, Alex, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every couple of weeks or so. Also remember to tell a friend or tourism colleague to check out our podcasts. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. And today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner, Tasmania Parks and Wildlife Service. A big thanks also to Caleb Miller at Mac40, our audio specialist who produces these episodes. I'm your host, Alex Arawa, and we'll catch up next time.